Hi, everybody. My name is Brenda. I'm a very grateful member of Al-Anon. And uh, like my husband said, before uh, my ego takes over, I want to thank the committee. I want to thank these gals. I want to thank this state. It's such a fun state. Um, When I told a friend of mine, she uh, she says, what are you doing this week? I said, I'm going to Dayton, Ohio. She goes, Dayton, Ohio? She goes, what is is in Dayton, Ohio? I said, oh, a lot of fun, I'm sure. And I was really looking forward to coming and see you. And you all have been so welcoming. And uh, Paula, thank you. Where are you, Paula? There you are. Thank you for picking us up from the airport. And thank you for that wonderful room that we have. (laughs) Just love it. You're a tremendous hostess. Thank you for that wonderful dinner last night. I mean, you guys really do know how to treat, you know, uh, guests. And uh, thank you, you know, because I know that uh, that we need to be to, to feel welcome. You know, I'm certainly not a circuit speaker, so you might not get your money's worth tonight. And um, <laughs> but I'm a very grateful member of Al-Anon, and absolutely, this program has transformed my life completely. And I stand here before you, uh, a woman in recovery, with dignity, with my head you know, up, looking into your eyes because of this program. I wouldn't be doing it any other way. But let me tell you a little bit about what it used to be like and what happened and what it's like today, because that's what I was taught. I was born into a normal alcoholic home, (laughs) and um, uh, there were a lot of strange things. You know, and the theme here that I have heard through the day is uh, family recovery. You know, I love hearing Ben. That was so precious. He was just so precious, telling us his story and having trouble telling us his story. And it's family recovery, how alcoholism affects those who are not drinking. You know, who are, I mean, it used to be said, and I think they still said, you know, that one alcoholic touches the lives of at least 35 people. And it was true then, and it is true today. And uh, I was born into this home, and I was born in Guatemala City, Central America, uh, which was the nature of my first resentment because I felt like so out of place, like many of us feel, you know, like I was totally born in the wrong place. And there were a lot of, there was alcoholism at its best going on in my home. Uh, my mother was a, uh, oh, my mother was one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen, young. And uh, she was 17 and she met him, you know, my father. And my father was uh, 15, I think 15 years older than her, and he was a real savvy alcoholic and very handsome, and he came into this little town, and my mom just fell, you know, fell in love and just, you know, was crazy about this man, and uh, in the meantime, my grandmother, who was uh, my mother's mother, uh, was married to this other alcoholic, who was my grandpa, who I absolutely loved my grandpa. My grandpa was not a mean alcoholic. He was always happy. You know, that was my introduction to uh, to drinking that I saw, is that my grandpa drinks and he's happy. My grandma doesn't, and she's so unhappy, you know. She was uh, very uh, very much like uh, Bonnie's mom, you know. She was she was the meanest woman in the world. She was just mean and happy, bitter, et cetera, et cetera. And there's my mom, just adorable as she could be, and... Uh, and this man kept on promising her the world, and uh, she kept on having babies. She was a good Catholic. And I think about the time she had the fourth child, she realized he wasn't going to get divorced. 
<laughs> so, you see, as, as I came into this family, into this world, there was already a secret. There was already, alcoholism was keeping a secret in our family. And there was a feeling of dirtiness and cheapness and, and a shame from the very beginning. From the moment I was born, there was this, this feeling of, of shame and, and we're keeping a secret. And of course, they were keeping a secret. And what happened is, you know, after year after year of getting a telegram from my father on, on my birthday, my mother got a little tired and she said, you know, honey, I have to tell you that, uh, and she didn't need to disclose this to me, but she was in a program and she said, you know, all those telegrams that you received on your birthday are not from your father. They're really from me. I'm the one that has been sending it to you. And I discovered this, you know, this secret, you know, and, and the reason why my father kept us a secret from his family. I have come to find out many, many years later that my father had about 23 to 24 children that we know of with six different women. I'm still finding them in the Internet now, you know, with that. <laughs> Through the wonderful uh, world of the Internet, I get this little email. By the way, is there any way that, you know, so-and-so could be your father? And I go, here we go again, one more, you know, and... Uh, and my father was a very sick man, you know, an alcoholic. But at that time, when I was a kid, I just adore my parents. I, I, I thought they were my heroes, like to say. You know, I, I kept them in a very high place. They were, my mother was beautiful. Uh, my father was extremely intelligent. And uh, I had, you know, nothing but admiration for them. The one that I really could not stand was my grandmother. And my mother left us when I was about seven. She came to the United States because when she realized he wasn't going to divorce his, you know, his wife, he, she escaped. She ran away from him because that's the only way she knew. That's the only tool she knew was to run away, leave her children behind, which was, you know, one of the biggest sacrifices she could have made. But that's the only tool she knew. And she came to the United States and she left us with, you know, Hitler's sister, which was my, uh, <laughs> which was my grandma. And my grandma, you know, instead of being a sweet, loving grandma, became our parent, you know, both parents. And, you know, she was angry and she beat us and there was a lot of physical abuse. And because she was so focused on her alcoholic, you know, my grandpa being drunk, she didn't see the type of things that were going on in our home, you know. And there were things that happened to children that shouldn't happen to children, you know, because... We are blinded by the disease of alcoholism because we're so focused on someone else that we can't see what they're doing to the children. And there was stuff that was done to me early on that was to awaken a lot of different stuff that shouldn't have been awakened at that age. And um, I started to, you know, uh, grow up in this home where I just had, like, the fantasy of having parents. My biggest dream was that my mom and father would come for Christmas. I mean, I was like... Every year, you know, I made this big, long, greedy list to Santa Claus. But at the top of that list was, but I would, I would much rather have my mom and my dad. I don't want any of the rest if you could bring my mom and my dad. And that, of course, never happened. And uh, what it did for me, it was that I always carried this empty feeling and this feeling of I'm not loved. I'm not loved. I'm not wanted. And very early on, I was chasing boys. I was chasing boys at a very young age. And I discovered that if I could use my uh, beauty or whatever I had, I would use it and I could, attain, I could get your attention. 
you know, and I didn't care how I would get it. And I was, you know, I was flirting with very older men when I was a child. And children shouldn't have to be doing this kind of stuff, you know, and I didn't know it was wrong, and I didn't know that I had learned it, you know, that I was innocent at one point and that I learned it from someone else, you know, and today I have a daughter. I have a child who's innocent, and I think that's exactly what I was like. So I get to relive that innocence that I was robbed of, you know, by the disease of alcoholism. I get to relive it today. And um, so I was chasing him for a long, long time before I got to this program and chasing that feeling of comfort, of just hold me and tell me that it's going to be okay. And, uh, of course, you know, uh, they couldn't give me that. I was always going to the hardware store for milk. I was always going to the well, you know, the empty well for water. Always, always, always. And then something wonderful happened to me. I came to the United States in 1976. My mother brought us over here because there had been an earthquake in Guatemala, and she was afraid that something would happen to us and that she wouldn't be with us. So um, she brought us here, and I landed in the very, very perfect place. You know, I was 17, and I landed in Hollyweird. And Hollyweird... Hollywood was my type of place, you know. It was exciting and fun, full of mirrors, full of, you know, uh, boys dancing with boys, girls with girls, dogs with dogs. And uh, it was just so fun. It was exciting. And it translated to me freedom, you know. I came to the United States and I started to hear that what my grandmother had done to me when I was a kid was called child abuse. You know, I thought it was discipline. That's what I grew up with. You know, it was that, that's the way everybody in my country was disciplined. And uh, I started to hear that if somebody hurts you, you can call the police and call the police on them. And that if I turned 18, that I was free to do whatever I wanted to do. And I was so happy to hear that. I was just so glad. And then, you know, my life took a complete different turn, complete different turn, because all I cared about was my freedom Fun, partying, uh, who cares about the consequences? I dropped out of high school, which was a really hard thing because I had been a great student up until then. But I thought, God, I'm so much smarter than these teachers. You know, I was in 11th grade. I was in 11th grade and I was much smarter than these teachers. And, and, you know, why go to school when I can go to a party? And parties will start on Wednesday and end on Sunday. And that's what my whole life revolved around. It was just partying, being around people. I love people. I love, uh, you know, socializing. I love to walk into a room. That's why I love meetings. And I love AA and Alana because we walk in and it's like so fun. You know, there's there's people. I, I was not a loner because when I was alone, it was the demons that would come and hunt my head. You know, the demons of what had happened when I was a kid. The demons of my father was never there. You know, the demons of I hate my grandmother. I hope she dies. You know, those type of demons, those were the ones that I was, that I had when I was alone. So I didn't want to be alone. I wanted to be with people all the time. And my whole life revolved around setting up, you know, parties and going to parties and being with people. And I had a great time. I had an absolute great time. And then I, uh, something happened in 1986 that really changed my life. And it got me into a spiritual path, you know, and it got me to see that I could, you know, come to know a different God. You know, I had, I had been raised Catholic, and uh, as being raised in Catholic religion, I knew I was already going to hell. 
so I might as well sin as much as I can sin because, you know, like like Sean said it, you know, if you thought it, you've done it. So And I thought a lot too. So, you know, I might as well really act on it and really go to hell. So, um, you know, I had absolutely no God of my understanding. I had a very punishing God and I had um, no concept, no concept of God, you know, and uh, I didn't want to have anything to do with God. But at that time, something happened to me. You know, after a period of time of many, many years of destroying my life, you know, God gave me an opportunity to walk in, you know, in the sunny side of the street. And my spiritual journey began. But I had no clue what the program of Al-Anon was for a long, long time. You know, there were rumors, and they talked about those Al-Anons, you know. And they talked about, you know, uh, oh, there is an Al-Anon. There were very few Al-Anons that I ever saw, and they were not somebody I would want to hang out with, you know. They look weak. They look uh, uh, boring. They look, uh, you know, they, they were not my kind of people. And I didn't understand what the problem of Al-Anon was until there was one day that I called um, Clancy because I had heard that Clancy was a person that helped alcoholics. And my mother was killing herself. You know, I had come to the United States, and I had seen what alcoholism had done to my mother. She had married another man, and uh, she had a child with this man, and my mother was getting beaten up by this man on a regular basis. She was leaving apartments full of furniture, leaving with this baby in the middle of the night so she could run away from him so she could get back to him. And when I came here and I came to see that, my mother fell off that pedestal that I had her in. And I started to watch her deteriorate and just destroy her life and destroy all of us along with her. And um, and remember, you know, at, at 17 and 18, having fist fights with my mom, pulling hair, pulling the knife away from her arm so she wouldn't slash her wrist, you know, and the drama and the getting in the car in the 502s and they're going to pick her up and she's naked by the liquor store. You know, that's not the kind of stuff that a child wants to see in their parents, you know. And I had to see it. And what happened is it made me very callous. It made me very cold. And it made me tough, you know, and you're not going to get to me. And I started to treat my mother like I, you know, like a piece of nothing. I took away at her dignity. I didn't treat her like my mother. I treated her like I was her mother and that I knew best and I knew what was better for her and I was going to help her. I was going to help her. I was going to tell her what to do and, you know, treatment after treatment center and after going to, uh, you know, I still have a piece of paper and I keep it as a souvenir of my own disease or where it says that my mother had been admitted to the general hospital for 57 times of alcohol dehydration. And I can guarantee you I was probably there 50 of the 57 times, you know, because I loved her so much and I couldn't believe that she couldn't help herself or that somebody couldn't help her. So my last phone call was to Clancy because I had heard. Some people heard me complain about my mother for years, and it's amazing they tolerated me as much as they tolerated me. I was used to taking her inventory, taking everybody's inventory, and they tolerated me. They didn't say anything. They mentioned Alanon. But they didn't, they didn't say go to Al-Anon. They just mentioned it. Until I talked to Clancy and I called him and I said, Clancy, my mother's killing herself. I need to commit her to an insane asylum or someplace where she can get better. And he said the magic words. It sounds to me like you got to go to Al-Anon. Boom. You know, hang up the phone. 
a one sentence. It was very simple. You know, one sentence. He sent me. He sentenced me to Alma. That's what he did. You know. And uh, coming from a man like him, you know, I heard him. I heard him, but I thought, oh, my God, you know, why am I going to go here? So I went to my first Al-Anon meeting, and uh, it was February 7th of 1991. And uh, for the grace of God, I haven't had to leave this program since February 7th of 1991. And I walked into this meeting. My sister went with me because I was such a drama queen, you know, and I just said, you know, you have to come with me. And she was supportive, and so she took me. And we walked into this church in the valley, and it was full of people very much like you, you know. And everybody was laughing, and everybody was joyful. And I couldn't understand why they were laughing, you know. I was hurting so bad, and I was crying. And my mother is killing herself, for God's sakes. How can you laugh? How can you laugh at the disease of alcoholism? I didn't understand that. I really did not understand how you could laugh at the disease of alcoholism. So at the end of the meeting, they had 10 minutes for newcomers' questions. Now, what I heard is 10 minutes for a newcomer question. <laughs> so you know what I did? Raised my hand right away because I wasn't shy. And uh, I got up and I took those 10 minutes to tell them exactly what I thought about Alan. And how dare they laugh and how dare they do this kind of stuff. And, you know, people are hurting and people are dying of alcoholism. And, you know, and the room was very quiet, very quiet. And at the end of my share, my 10-minute share, they came up to me and they said, Welcome to Al-Anon. We're glad you're here. And they gave me phone numbers and they said, you know, keep coming back, keep coming back. And they weren't, judge- they weren't judgmental. If they did, they didn't show it, you know. They were just kind. And, uh, and I thought, I don't want to have anything to do with these women. They were well-dressed. They looked like they had it all together. They did not look like they were suffering from the disease of alcoholism like I was. So anyway, you know, like next day, I'm going to another meeting, and I run into this other Al-Anon woman who has left Al-Anon since. And it's interesting, like my husband talked about the angels, you know, the angels that get us to the right place. Um, she took me to this place, and she's never been back since. I've, I, I see her, but she's not in the program of Al-Anon. And um, she took me to what's my home group today, which is the Thursday night stepped-up Al-Anon meeting in Westchester, and of course you're all welcome to come whenever you come to Los Angeles. And and I walked into this room, and it was, you know, it was actually on not on a Thursday night; it was on a Monday night that I went into. But it was the same group of people. And the thing that impressed me the most was that they didn't talk about God, or at least I didn't hear it that night. I'm sure they talked about God, but there was a small room, you know, mostly women, a few men. And they didn't talk about God. And I thought, oh, good. I'm glad they're not talking about him because he is so on my blacklist. You know, <laughs> he is not doing good with me. So they didn't talk about God. And and I cried through the whole meeting. You know, and I'm not a crier at that time. At that time, I'm a tough woman. I'm a callous woman. You know, like when I said, I can be the meanest woman in the world. You know, and I can just tear you apart in seconds. But at that moment, everything broke down, you know, and I heard a few things. One of the things that I heard is, Al-Anon is spoken here, you know. I was coming from another 12-step program, but it was extremely important to me that I remain brand new in the program of Al-Anon and that I didn't mix it up with any other knowledge. You know, as a matter of fact, I said, I said the set-aside prayer, which, you know, some of you may know. I just asked God to please set aside everything that I thought I knew 
about the 12 steps and about the program of Al-Anon and to help me to start new and to just help me to hear something that would help me. And I started to come into the program of Al-Anon and come into meetings and um, I rapidly got a sponsor. Someone that I didn't know who she was. You know, if I hadn't known who she was, I would have never gotten her. <laughs> because, like my husband said, it was like a pact with the devil. And uh, she was a very strong member of the program of Al-Anon. And um, she did not put up with a lot. And she asked me immediately. She said, you know, when I asked her to be my sponsor, she said, well, you know, you've got to go to meetings. You've got to get commitments at those meetings. And call me every day. For the next 30 days at 7.30, you know. Oh, God, I hated that call time because I could never make it at 7.30. You know, I don't wake up that early. And um, But I was, I made it, and I made it through the 30 days. And she said, buy all the literature. Uh, it was like June or July. No, I mean, that was February. But for some reason, they were having some type of literature month or something. So she said, buy all the Eleanor literature you can and start reading it. No. She said, buy all the literature, and I failed to understand that what she wanted me to do was to read it. I never read it. I just bought it. And, uh, but she did say one thing that started me in doing just, I, it was, you know, it was a very simple program for me in the beginning, very simple program. Um, I thought you were going to teach me how to understand alcoholism, because that's why I came for. I came so you could teach me how to handle my mom and how to handle her drinking, you know. And, I mean, there were a lot of other, you know, drunks in my family. Everybody, nobody's in the program. But the one that I was most concerned was with my mom. And I knew that you were going to help me with, you know, helping my mother. And it took me a very, very long time in the program of Alanon to know that the program was here for me and not for anybody else, you know. For me and the type of relationships I have with you, you know, how I react to you whether you're alcoholic or not, because sobriety bothers me a lot also. You know, I found out, well, after being here for a while, that sobriety really annoyed me. And, um, and you know, she asked me to read the one, uh, the July 1st page in the ODOT, you know, and the one day at a time. And that was pretty simple stuff for me to do, because I couldn't do any big things. And I read that over and over and over and over and over and over again, you know. And I started to learn that, you know, somebody else's happiness was not dependent on me, you know, that I was to take care of me first and then to lead them to God, you know, because I I was not in charge. It was such a hard thing to give away because I so thought I knew best, you know, and that I knew, you know, there are, there are characteristics of an Al-Anon of my type, which is, you know, one is I know it all. I know what's best. I'm in control. I'm going to manage, manipulate. I'm going to mother, you know, and uh, and I'm going to be a martyr while I'm going along with it, too, you know. I love that, you know. I uh, I do a lot of stuff for others, but I'm going to make sure that I get an award at the end of the day, you know. <laughs> and I'm the type that makes a tally, you know, that invisible tally of all the great things I've done for you and what you owe me. And how you should treat me. And when you walk in through that door, you better run to me and give me a kiss and tell me what a wonderful wife, what a wonderful mother I am, what a you know great human being. And if you don't do that, you know, my expectations are down and, and, and you're down and you're out because you don't know how to appreciate me. You know? 
So I know how to do a lot of that stuff, and those characteristics have gotten me into a lot of trouble. But anyway, after I had been in the program for a while, she asked me to start working the steps. And uh, it was it was like I had never read the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous in the way that I read it, you know, that I started to read it, and I started to apply it to my own life. Um, one of the exercises that I got was to read it in the I form in the beginning, you know. Uh, it was like everything I did, I did, I that, and to switch from drinking to controlling and thinking and manipulating and, you know, mothering and marturing and do all of that stuff. It was great exercises. And I remember when I took my, you know, first three steps and my sponsor asked me the same thing that, you know, my husband talked about. You know, she said, you know, after you take the steps, remarkable things will follow. And look out for them because they will appear to you. And she, you know, when I shared these steps with her, she was able to let me know that for years and years and years I had been blaming these two, these people that were so extremely sick that never got a glimpse, you know. And that's why I'm so grateful for conference and things like this that we put together because I know for a fact that less than a block away from here, there's a kid that is looking through the window doing what Steve and Sean did when they were kids, you know, waiting for the car to pull up to see how their dad is doing today, you know. I know there's a woman that got beaten up last night. I mean, we saw her in the news last night or a couple of nights ago here. Was it last night? I think it was last night. I don't even remember how long. This woman that came back from the Army and got beaten up by her boyfriend, you know. We don't know, but most likely has to do with alcoholism and drugs, you know. And I know that, you know, within a block, radius, there are children who are being mistreated, abandoned, who were left alone because their parents went out drinking and they stayed at a bar and, you know, who knows what happened to them. And we get the opportunity, the privilege. I get the opportunity and the privilege to come and share with you a little bit about my past because my past is my greatest, greatest gift that I have to give someone else that I could help maybe a little bit, a little bit of their pain, you know. And uh, I'm so grateful. I really am. I'm so overwhelmed that... Uh, with gratitude that I get to do this kind of a deal. But anyway, after I had been um, here and uh, done the steps, um, remarkable things follow. And I started to see, my God, it was awful. Because it was like, to me, Al-Anon is one of the slowest programs in the world. It is like, it is so painfully slow. Because I would take one step forward and about eight back. And my husband knew that I was going to Al-Anon. And many a times, and my sister knew that I was going to Al-Anon. And many a times they would say, well, what does Al-Anon say about that? You know, and uh, uh, do you think you're working a good Al-Anon program with that? And uh, is that the way to make amends? And, you know, all this stuff. And it seemed like the moment I arrived in Al-Anon, my character defects just flourished. I mean, just. You know, what happened is I became aware of them. That's what happened, because before that, I was way too active, way too busy, you know. We're very busy women, and I was very busy, you know, taking care of everything and everybody else. And when I came to a halt and I was in Al-Anon, I started to realize that I wasn't that great of a human being, you know, and that I had taken away at my husband's dignity, that I had taken away at my husband's masculinity, that I had taken away at my mother's, you know, dignity, and that I had disrespected my grandmother and I, all the stuff that I, it was painful. But the greatest thing is that in the program of Alana, we get to share with one another. And we get to say, I understand. I've been there. I've done that. You know, 
I had done so much damage to my body that I didn't think I could get pregnant. And that's why it took us so long to get pregnant. And and I gave birth to this beautiful boy, you know, and uh, we already had Taylor, who was my stepson, you know, who has taught me tremendous things, you know. And uh, when my son came along, you know, I didn't know how to be a good mother. Even though I had, you know, I had had Taylor, I didn't have him on a full-time basis, so I didn't know how to be a mother. And, um, and uh, then I got pregnant with my daughter. And uh, my relationship with my husband, you know, I always thought we were great until I got to Eleanor. And then I started to think, oh, my God, you know, I have been mothering him to death. You know, I've been doing this kind of stuff. And I started to really hear a lot about me by listening to you. And I started to change. But like I said, I would take one step forward and about eight back, you know. And I screwed up a lot. I messed up constantly. And that's why my sponsor insisted that I would go to meetings, that I would take commitments, that I would sponsor other people, that I would take the steps, that I would pray on my knees. You know, there's this six things my sponsor has me to do and she has me she asked me to do them then and she asks me to do them today and I still do them and my sponsor has a sponsor and her sponsor has a sponsor and I come from a long line of sponsorship and very strong sponsorship and they don't let me you know go very easy as you are going to hear uh, in 1996 my husband talked a little bit about it I got the job. I was five years in Al-Anon, and uh, I started to write for a newspaper, a Spanish newspaper, and I started to become someone. And there was uh, there was an internal war that had happened in my country for 36 years, and we had just signed the peace accords, and I became involved with all of that. And it made me feel very important. And it made me feel like, well, you know, a lot of people's callings is in the program, but maybe, maybe my calling is someplace else. You know, maybe I am to be of service to my country, to another place. So I started to travel to Guatemala, and I started to do, you know, uh, something very positive, very positive. But in the meantime, what it was doing, it was giving me another life. And it was too hard to juggle life, you know. And then I found myself, you know, weighing 95 pounds because I was juggling all these plates. I mean, a friend of mine showed me one day. He said, you know, here, hold this plate and hold this plate, and I was holding all these plates, and pretty soon they all came crashing down. It's just, that's what you're trying to do. I was living a double life, and I was starting to keep secrets, and I wasn't telling you what I was doing. And I would come into the meetings, and I would look into your eyes, and my sponsor, I hated my sponsor during this time because she could see right through me. And I would walk in and kind of sneak through the back, you know, and go through the sides, and, and she would tell me, she goes, how you doing? I go, fine, 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 good, good, you know. And I would look down, really good. Anything happening? No, no, no. I'm leaving again in a week, you know, and it was like that kind of stuff. I was traveling a lot and I was coming and I was really just visiting. That's what I was doing. I wasn't really working the program whatsoever. And uh, the grace of God saved me and my sponsor was praying for me. And I remember getting these phone calls when I was in the deepest, darkest moments when I knew that I was just, that I was not wholesome, you know, that the call of the wild had come from me. And they had come disguised in this fabulous job, in this fabulous material world that uh, I was in full flight from reality. And it can happen, you know, cold, stone, sober. It happens. I had taken off to a different fantasy world. And she called me a couple of times, and she would say, you know, I'm praying for you. And I would just go, oh, God. I said, why are you praying for me? I'm fine. I'm doing fine. Don't worry about me. And she would say, okay, honey, I'll see you at the meeting. 
And, um, you know, a few months later, I would get another phone call. And she says, I'm praying for you. And I hated her. I just couldn't stand it because I knew she could see right through me. And little by little bit, I, I remember we went to a woman's conference. I can't remember. I think it was Arizona. I think it was Bridging the Gap or something like that. And um, and she does this candlelight meeting that's very intimate and that opens up, you know, helps people to open up. Oh, God, I can't stand that. And um, and she said, whoever's supposed to come will come, and they do it very anonymously. You know, you walk in, they sit down and whatever, and, of course, she didn't recognize my voice. I mean, how anonymous is that? And um, And I walked in, and I basically took an inventory. I did an inventory, and I think it was the most fearless, you know, I truly searched within me and became honest with myself and with another human being. And I I love what Sean said because it is important that I do it with my sponsor because she's kept track of me. She knows me. She knows where I've been. And it's important that she keeps on knowing where I'm going to. And she heard that inventory. She goes, whoa. And she said, I'm glad that you're coming clean. And I'm glad that, you know, that you want to do the right thing. And, uh, and of course, Stephen and I were falling apart. We were just falling apart, you know. Uh, it's very painful when you have worked so hard at, you know, having this wonderful, sweet life, you know, great kids, great stepson, and then your whole life comes, you know, crumbling down, just a mess. And I had done it all on my own, all by myself. And the repairing time came. You know, after taking that inventory, she asked me to do uh, my six and seven and to make a list and to start making amends and to go through the whole 12 steps again. And to be honest, you know, that was one of the hardest things for me to do is to be honest, to be honest with me and to be honest with her and to be honest with the rest of the world. And as soon as I did that, I was able to walk into my home group and lift my head up high. You know, and I feel like I was dirty again. You know, because I, for a long time, I felt like I was just dirty because all those secrets were just keeping me dirty. I used to have to take showers, and I could not get clean. And I wonder why. And it was because the dirt was inside of me, and I couldn't get it out. You know, and um, I'm so forever grateful that I came back into these rooms and that you restored our life because my husband said it's a very sweet life, and. Uh, the reason why I'm crying is because he messed me up. <laughs> I, uh, I have this whole talk plan. You know how we have that talk plan? And uh, and when he talked, he messed me up because he talked. You made it comfortable enough for him to talk about things that he doesn't regularly talk about. And he made me cry. He, you know, touched my heart. Because for Jesus, this happened in... Since 1999, because in 1998 he asked me for a separation. And in, since 1999, you know, I've been working really hard, very hard in the program so we could repair the damage that I had done in sobriety, you know. And uh, we're fortunate enough to look back. You know, I, um, I have uh, some incredible miracles that have happened as a result of me coming clean and doing all this kind of stuff, you know. My dad, who I hadn't seen in 15 years, you know, I was able to make amends to my dad and was able to go sit down with him and tell him that I understood where he came from and that I didn't blame him for anything, you know. And this was a man that was never a part of my life, that kept me a secret, you know. As a matter of fact, last year I wanted him to um, meet my children and he could only give us 15 minutes, you know. And they were precious 15 minutes. I wasn't 
judging him. I didn't feel like, God darn it, you know, my sisters were pretty pissed off because they said, you know, oh, once again, oh, he can give us his 15 minutes, you know. But I thought, you know, 15 minutes is better than nothing. You know, he may die, and I, if he dies today, I'm so at ease with our relationship because I was able to make amends to him. And uh, it was interesting when my sponsor asked me to make direct amends because in the other 12-step program that I had been, my um, my sponsor told me, oh, you don't need to make amends to that person. They did as much damage as you did to them. You know, you don't need to. And I was like, oh, happy, go lucky. You know, I don't have to make direct amends. <laughs> Well, my Alamon sponsor had a different story, and she wanted me to make direct amends to several people, you know. One of them was my father, and uh, the other one was my perpetrator, which is interesting that, you know, someone, because I was a child, you know, and uh, but I had hated this man, and this man was my uncle, you know, and uh, I had hated him, and it was unbelievable. I did a lot of work in this area, and I was able to forgive him. And the amazing miracle that has happened is the last couple of years I've taken my children back to my homeland, and they've gotten to spend time with him and his children. You know, and I'm able to take his in very poor financial conditions and all my children's clothes and, you know, all those clothes that I can, I saved through the whole year. I saved clothes for him, for his children. And that doesn't happen anywhere except in the rooms of the program of Alan and the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, that's where we get to repair that kind of damage. Well, I don't hate this man. I don't take that poison of hating this man because we had what he had done to me, you know. And I'm able to see him right straight into the eyes and feel. And my sweet grandma, Hitler's sister, remember her? You know, it's incredible because I had taken my grandmother's inventory many years before that I had just, you know, tore her apart, blamed her, and told her exactly what I felt. You know, I was, I think I was 21 or 22 when I did that. Destroyed her. And I was able to make daily amends to my grandmother. My grandmother's still alive, and she's still the meanest woman in the world. <laughs> but the greatest magic is that she's the sweetest. She got, see, she was robbed of the opportunity to be a grandma to me. You know, and I didn't realize that. And that through the gift of the program, I'm giving her the gift to be a grandma to my children. So she gets to be the sweet grandma she wanted to be to us. She gets to be that to my children. And she treats them so well. And the other day I gave a little whack to my son, you know, on on his butt. And my grandma goes, what are you doing? Don't hurt him. And I thought, oh, my gosh, she's got Alzheimer's. She doesn't remember. She doesn't remember the beating she used to give me. I mean, she was appalled that I had given him a little whack, you know. And 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 I, and I looked at her like, okay. And uh, she's forgotten. She treats my children like they are, you know, angels. Huh? So what a great opportunity that the program has given me to give her that gift, you know. And uh, you know, it's amazing. My mother, my mother, what a trip. She's sober. My grandmother, my mother's sober. She's sober seven years this January. No help of mine whatsoever would really hurt my feelings because I had tried, I had tried so hard. I had, you know, just gone the extra mile. And, you know, she ended up getting sober. She ended up in a treatment program. She went to AA for six months, went to a halfway house, and has gone back to church, to her Catholic church, and she's been doing it ever since with church. And she's a spiritual woman, and she's a sweet woman. 
And we had a business together, which was amazing because we had a business that was half in her drunkenness, which I was so, I, I went into tremendous debt. This is what Alanis of my type do. Because I thought, if I give her something that she really loves to do, and something that she really is interested, she will stop drinking. <laughs> and I went into $33,000 of debt over this venture with my grand, with my mom while she was still drinking. I mean, what kind of insanity is that? <laughs> and my mother is a wonderful artist in the kitchen. You know, she creates wonderful food, and it was a wonderful business for 10 years. And my mother got sober in that business, and we got to close it successfully and be able to pay all those debts and be able to walk away and go on a vacation and say we had a great experience together. And my mother's watching my kids this weekend. You know, she's staying at my house, and she's staying with my mother-in-law, which is another story. I mean, I, I, I can't even <laughs> I can't even go into, you know, this woman that has been, I mean, this is what, where, where I go where I get really touched, is that you and I have an opportunity to sit here, and this woman, you know, has been alone for the last 40-plus years, Steve, or something like that, you know, after the tragedies that happened in her life. Alcoholism took her husband. Alcoholism took her child, her daughter. You know, alcoholism took her son-in-law. Alcoholism got her son in the worst places. Yet has, she has never been given the gift of a tool to act different, to take care of herself. You know, I have a tremendous amount of passion, compassion for her, and passion, uh, because sometimes you know. I, Sometimes when I really want to just react to the disease, because she is affected by the disease of alcoholism. She is an active alcoholism. You know, and when I want to react, I just hear my sponsor's voice, you know, put the invisible tape over your mouth. You know, treat her with respect. You know, walk away before anything. And remarkable things follow, because I do act, you know. I, I don't feel like I have acted badly, especially in the last few years. Before that, I acted badly several times when I reacted. You know, I'm still, it's progress, not perfection. And, and I can hold on to that one, believe me. But um, but I work hard at not reacting to the disease of alcoholism because it comes in all shapes and forms, you know. And as I have discovered in this program is that I don't just react to the disease of alcoholism when they're sober or drunk. It's amazing, but a lot of people bother me. People that I don't have, they're not in the program. You know, people at school, people at churches, people in my workplace, you know, wherever I go, people bother me. And I have discovered in the program that it has really, my sponsor had an exercise that she gave me, which I couldn't stand, because she said, you know, what, why don't you write down, actually she said, why don't you write down uh, five, na- five names of women that you think are your heroes today? And I wrote, you know, amazingly, I wrote my mother. That's unbelievable. Then I wrote my grandmother. Then I put my sponsor, and I put my other sponsor because I have two sponsors. I need all the help I can get. <laughs> and uh, and then I put this other friend of mine who passed away. And she said, write down all their qualities and all the things that you think are amazing about them. And I wrote all their qualities. And I wrote, you know, these are women that are strong, women that are intelligent, and women that are beautiful, and all these things that I wrote about them. And then she said, you have all those qualities, because if you didn't have them, you wouldn't be able to recognize them in them. But here comes the trick. Any time that I feel something 
is wrong with you. And I start to list it, you know. And she had me do that too. Then she said, there's a little bit of you, and sometimes percentages-wise can be a lot. And, you know, and she did it in a very gentle way. But basically she told me that when I think that someone's a bitch, I certainly have uh, plenty of that in myself, you know. And, uh, and that's a hard pill to swallow. You know, I didn't want to hear that. So now I'm very careful when I judge you. Very careful. <laughs> it's amazing what happens with that. And, you know, I, I don't have a lot more to say. I can tell you that I'm a great mom. In all these years, if anything I can say is that I'm a great mom. My children are the most, and of course all of us think the same way, but I think I'm really, my kids are really special. Um, they're very bright. They have a lot of my blood in it. They're, they are, a, they are spitfire. You know, they are very strong, opinionated, very intelligent, they're artistic. You know, I took them to an art class hoping they didn't have any talents because uh, I didn't want to pay for it. Um, it was kind of an expensive class. And when they came out, they came out with this, like, pieces of art, beautiful pieces of art. I go, I'm doomed. You know, they have this wonderful talent. And, and they express themselves, and they let me know. You know, they tell me, Mom, I'm going to miss you this weekend. I wish you weren't going, you know. Um, and I get to come back, you know, where my mother couldn't come back to me for many years. I'm able to go back to my children. You know, I don't leave them for very long anymore, you know. And my husband and I are still working. You know, I love that he said, I'm an okay husband. I was like, okay, he's telling the truth. Check. Uh, <laughs> I really love that he said that. And I'm an okay wife. Because and I'm not, you know, I'm a great mom, but I'm an okay wife. You know, I'm a great member of Al-Anon, but I'm an okay wife. And as long as I keep being a great member of Al-Anon, I stand a chance of being a great wife someday, which I so want to give him that gift because he's such a great man and he deserves a great wife, you know. And I understand the women of Al-Anon that think, because this is the way I think, you know, when he goes to the AA meetings, you know, and he's such a handsome man. I think he's the most handsome man in the world. And I, he goes to the AA meetings, and all those women are all over him. And, you know, they're just, you know, slut puppy hoes. And, uh, <laughs> and I'm afraid he's going to leave me. You know, and he tells me, you know, we've been together 17 years. And I'm afraid he's, I'm still afraid he's going to leave me. You know, and I, I think, you know, I think, he tells me that the evidence is totally opposite. He goes, we've been together 17 years. I've never left you. He goes, you know, why do we just still think that way? And it's because I'm still in the process of building my self-esteem. You know, because if I do steamable acts, I'm going to get some self-esteem. You know, because you tell me, you know, because you invite me to speak because we spent such a great time over at that conference that you think I have something positive to say. You know, that builds my self-esteem. You know, not the idea that I'm a, you know, some legend in my own mind, like you said, Sean, you know. It's not that. What builds my self-esteem is to do steamable acts, you know. It's when I know that I can act better, that I can do the right thing, that I choose that path. Because there's a dark part of me. And I have to tell you that from time to time it pops. You know, when there's an opportunity to steal, I think about it, you know. When there's an opportunity to lie, I think about it. You know, when there's an opportunity to cheat, I'll think about it because that is something that I have in me. And I just have to acknowledge it and 
walk away and try to walk the right path because the right path gives me a longer term of pleasure instead of instant gratification like in the past, you know. So I I want to thank you for inviting me over here. And I want to leave you with one thing. And like, Bonnie, you wrote something, so I want to, I want to read this to you. Um, last weekend was a big Alamon family reunion for me and my sponsor and her sponsor. We celebrated it with my 13th uh, Alamon birthday. Of course, the party was not about me, but <laughs> I like to make it up about me. Um, since you know I was so involved in it, uh, but it was about my sponsor's 35th Alanon birthday and her sponsor's 41st Alanon birthday. We celebrated 75 years of Alanon, and we had a big family reunion last weekend, and 150 people from all over the country came. You know, and uh, it was so fun. Of course, Texans cannot do a one-day party. You know, they have to do a four-day event. You know, it was like a whole week of events. I mean, people were looking, in, people in L.A. do not understand that kind of stuff. You know? They were like, oh, my God, she's, you know, they're so over the top. You know, and it was over the top because we should celebrate recovery that big. We should all celebrate recovery that big because it's, we, we shouldn't take it lightly. You know, how many of us are here and how many of, us, of them are out there? You know, it does not match. The percentage does not match. And in that weekend, there was something that, you know, she talked a lot about. And, and there was a passage in the big book from the family afterward that, you know, uh, she uh, read and she talked a lot about it through the whole weekend. And um, one of the little exercises, I was going to memorize it, but I can't do that. You know, I, I, my brain is fried. But uh, it says that cling to the thought that in God's hands, the dark past is the greatest possession you have. The key to life and happiness for others. And what? What did I read? <laughs> for others is, and it can be overt, what? Oh, my God, I'm sorry, you guys. It can be life, yeah. But, but basically, you know what it says is, see, I wrote it so I wouldn't screw up. And my sponsor always says, don't screw up. And guess what I just did? I just screwed up. And it's avert death and misery for, for others. So through me sharing my past, my dark past with you, you know, I get to help maybe somebody's misery and even somebody's death. So thank you for that opportunity.